Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Lamentations. If you can't find Lamentations, look in the index. This is the portion of that particular book that uh, when we do go to it, it tends to be uh, from this portion. It's Lamentations uh, chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 19. And as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. It is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, even as we enter into uh, this new year, we pray that you would teach us, that you would use your word, that you would use these verses, that you would apply them by your Holy Spirit to our hearts and lives, open our hearts to you, illumine them. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. It is tempting to be complacent in our faith when we think things are going well. Tempting to be complacent in our faith when we think things are going okay. It is tempting to get despondent about our faith when we are in the midst of a trial. When things are not going the way we think we would want them to or we think they should, it is tempting to get despondent. Neither one of those places is a good place to be or to stay when it comes to our faith, either complacency or despondency. And our verse of the year addresses both temptations, tells us how are we to deal with those things. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I hope that uh, you were here this morning in the Great Hall and you saw the video during our growth hour highlighting uh, our ministries over this past year. It was hard to believe, and I've seen that several times now, it's hard to believe that was just one year, not only because of the numerous things that took place, but with with COVID and those kinds of things, it's just hard time-wise to place events and, and how they took place. We started 2021 Uh, 10 months into COVID, but still hampered by the pandemic. But ministry went forward. It was such a contrast to the world that shut down and hid for our ministries to begin inch by inch going forward. We're still not where we were pre-COVID in a lot of ways. Attendance-wise, we're still down about 100 people from where we were pre-COVID. And we were inching up uh, pre-COVID. So there's no way to know where we could have been. And yet, that's not really even the point, is it? Do you, do you remember what it was like, those of you that were here, uh, when we first announced that we were not going to meet for worship on a Sunday? I remember it vividly. We had just come off of a, a great mission conference. We had had a full church during that conference. The next week, we had an empty church. And then we began recording and then live streaming and so on. There was fear. There was frustration. There was uncertainty. It was a time that I know in my ministry I've never experienced. I think probably all of us would say it was a time unlike any of us have ever experienced. And there also, at least with me, but I think for many of us, was a longing to get back to the way things were pre-COVID. As I was preparing this sermon before Christmas, I thought about those feelings. As I, as I studied uh, this passage and studied the background of these these verses that we're calling our, our verse of the year. To understand our verse, uh, we need to understand what was going on and always look at the context. The context or, the, or what, what was going on in that time, what was said in the verses before and those immediately after as well. So what was the background Well, the book of Lamentations consists of five laments. All but the third one is based on 
the destruction of Jerusalem by the Chaldeans in 587 B.C., and then its aftermath. Uh, the, the vividness of the pictures that are, are, are drawn here and are described indicate that it evidently was from an eyewitness. The author was conscious of the suffering elsewhere uh, in Judah, but he concentrated on uh, the position of Jerusalem. And, and it's hard for us as, as modern readers uh, to really uh, understand the, the kinds of sorrows that are expressed in the book. We may be puzzled uh, that the Jews would continue to mourn uh, the destruction uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. It's in fact hard for us to realize how complete the destruction was of their city. The old city of David uh, lies outside the present city walls. And, and that's only partially due to the effects of the destruction of the Romans. The, the Chaldeans so broke down the walls and, and terraces that restoration was impossible. When they came back, Nehemiah had to build his wall uh, much higher on the slope, uh, greatly reducing the area of what had been the center of the city. Let, let me try to describe it, because all, all that's okay, that's, that's historical, but let me try to describe it in terms of something that maybe maybe we can, we can grasp. A few weeks ago, we saw the destruction of the tornadoes in the Midwest. We could talk about the fires also in Colorado, certainly, but let's think about the, the tornadoes. Suppose for a moment that those kinds of tornadoes came through our area and somehow we were tipped off, so we weren't killed, uh, but our church took a direct hit so that it was completely leveled. Not only our church, but there's no crossroads, school. There's no Irmo High School, all the way up to Dutch Fork High School and there, there's nothing left of Harbison. The mall is gone. No amens there. But uh, <laughs> everything is, is flattened. And it's so flattened that when, when we come back, we don't even recognize, hard to recognize where the church was. And there's so much rubble that the determination is we can't rebuild here. If we're going to rebuild, we've got to move somewhere else. And not only that for our church, but all of our homes, everything in them are gone. So bottom line is we, we just can't go back to the way things were. How do we recover? How do I recover when I realize I can't recover the past? How do I deal with that? So where's that really hit us? How does it relate to us? 
at the return from exile, a completely new beginning was necessary. In a sense, Lamentations is like a funeral dirge over the past. This past that really can't be recovered to where it was before. Let's look at uh, the writer's way of dealing with, with that dilemma, with that kind of grief, that kind of realization that we, we, we can't go back. We have a past that is unrecoverable. We see the dilemma in, in verse 21. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And then if you, if you look at the footnote, you can, at least in the English Standard Version, uh, it talks about how this phrase is in, included. Because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we're not cut off. His mercies never come to an end. So there seems to be two very opposite sides mentioned here. On the one side, it's the Lord's great love. And on the other side, it's the idea of being cut off. The Lord's great love or being cut off from him. Great love refers to that that covenant love that he has for his people. And being cut off, and some versions translate it that, that this way, is, is like being consumed. It means completely exhausted, completely spent. We see this again and again in the Old Testament when we see uh, God's people uh, show themselves uh, to be faithless. You know, they follow for a while and then they turn away from God and they... They become impatient. They worship idols. And yet through all of that, God's love is consistent toward his people. When things are are going in a difficult direction, how often do we immediately think, thank you, God, for your faithfulness? That's what the writer here is saying. he's, He's saying, I see all this that I and we are going through, and yet here is my comfort in your faithfulness. Thomas Akempis said, don't count yourself to have true peace if you felt no grief, nor that all is well if you have no adversary nor that this is perfect if all things fall out, of, fall out according to your desire. The writer here in Lamentation says uh, he has uh, hope every time he remembers that it is only because of God's great mercies that he's not totally consumed. Do we, do we ever think that way? Is our tendency to say, when, when things are, are very difficult to say, but God, you know, the, the only reason I'm here is because, because of you and your mercy. The only reason I can survive at all 
is because of you and your mercy. It's only because of that and not because the writer feels he deserves something better. And and that can be one of our problems. One of our problems can be that uh, we try to make sure we have a relationship with God by doing things. You know, maybe if I do these things, then he'll, he'll treat me right. You know, maybe if I read the Bible enough, if I pray, if I have a quiet time, if I'm regular in church, if I do those, it'll improve my relationship with God. Now, it's tricky because all that is true. All those things will improve our relationship with God. We will know him better. We will likely love him in a deeper way. But we have to be careful what our motive is. That we're not trying to manipulate God by doing these things. Jerry Bridges uh, uh, in his writings would call that the, the good day, bad day scenario. He said, you know, here, here's a bad day. You, you wake up late, and because you woke up late, you don't, you, normally you read the Bible every morning, you pray, and you don't have time to read the Bible, and you don't, you know, you're not, you're not going to pray. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll zip one up there on your way to whatever you need to do. But you really don't have time. And then the rest of your day is wrecked. It's a bad day. And every time something goes wrong for you that day, you think back to, yeah, well, you know, of course. I, I didn't read my Bible this morning. Or I, didn't, I didn't pray this morning. And, and then the converse of that is, you know, a good day where you start out and you, you read the Word and you, you pray and, and, uh, and, and things, things just seem to go better that day. If we're not careful, if something like that happens, we may begin to think that we can manipulate God ourselves by our actions. And we can never do that. We cannot do that. We are fooling ourselves. And to God, that's offensive. Because there is nothing that we can do to make God love us any less if we are his child. But there's also nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. Because he already loves his children with an infinite love. And that love is described here. Look at how it's characterized. Several ways. First in verse 22. uh, I've called it a never failing love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So why does the writer even have to say that? Because everything we can relate to when it, it comes to love and compassion, everything we speak of humanly, everything we've experienced fails at some point. Human love 
too often is conditional. If you love me, I'll love you back. Or I would love him or her if he or she loved me. Human love can be uh, fickle. It can come and go. It can be hot and cold. It can be inconsistent. Or even with heroic efforts, even with the most accepting, consistent, steady, dependable humans, at some point it will fail. That's why he emphasizes that God's love is steadfast. And then he uses the phrase, verse 23, the first part, uh, that they are new every morning. It's fresh love shown over and over. Uh, that's the kind of phrase that is, is used to, to talk about God's faithfulness. Uh, not that it changes, not that it's not, not there at, at night. It's always there. It's our perspective, our our faithfulness that changes. Another angle we see in the scripture that uh, weeping may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. So often things look different in the morning. Those of you that, that had children, I think you can attest to this. There would be a time where you went through a, a hard night or maybe a hard whole day and then a difficult night with the child. And in the, then in the morning, you see him and, and it's all good. You start over. It's new. If you can get through that night, it's new in the morning. That's fresh love being shown over and over. And then there's a, a third way God's love is characterized it's shown by faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Now that's a fact. It's, it's true whether it seems like it or not that God is faithful. So here we are, January 2nd, 2022, and it's decision time. You need to decide. I need to decide Will we believe that? Will we believe that God is faithful and make that determination today and that is regardless of what happens this year in our life, in the lives of others around us, will we believe first and foremost that God is faithful? I have to decide it. We all do. And then the question in terms of the context here, because the verses go on, is what will our portion be? Verse 24, the Lord is my portion. That's right after great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I, I will hope in him. So what's it mean that the Lord is my portion? Well, back in the book of, of Numbers, the territory was uh, divided up among the tribes of Israel. I'm going to read you about that in a minute. But what you're going to hear is that even though the territory is divided up, uh, the priests and the Levites, in other words, the clergy, 
were not given portions of the land. Clergy got nothing. Zip. I'm not bitter on their behalf at all. No, but here's, here's why. It wasn't about the land. Listen to what it says in Numbers 18, verse 20. The Lord said to Aaron, You will have no inheritance of their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. Do you see what he's illustrating there? He's saying, look, people want land. You have me. I am your portion. And that, God was saying, is enough. The Lord is my portion, back to Lamentations, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The writers made the decision that the Lord's portion was what he wanted. It's his decision that the Lord will be sufficient, a sufficient portion for him. Here's what John Calvin said about that. All our thoughts will ever wander and go astray until we're fully persuaded that God alone is sufficient for us. For all who are not satisfied with God alone are immediately seized with impatience whenever famine oppresses them or sword threatens them or any other grievous calamity. Calvin is saying it it makes all the difference in the world when we face hard things if we have already decided that God is enough, he is sufficient I don't need any of this if I have him. He's saying that's what we have to decide. So here's some applications. Experiencing the love we have as his children, several things. One is that one can be greatly loved and not feel it. can be greatly loved and not even really feel like you're loved. At Christmas, uh, a couple of our grandchildren that, that were here are still babies. And boy, are they loved. Extremely loved. Now, I think they're conscious of it to a degree. But you know what? A, a few weeks, a few months ago, they, they didn't know that. They had no idea how much they were loved. But were they loved? Absolutely. It wasn't about whether they felt it. Objectively, they were loved. Our youngest daughter, who had her first baby this year, said she knows now how much we loved her And I think she always felt loved. But she says, I I now know how much you loved me because of how much I love my daughter. And she didn't really grasp that before. And yet, it was there. That can be true for believers as well. 
Sometimes a, a believer forgets or doesn't acknowledge how deeply loved we are. And that's when we have to look at the cross. And it should remind us every time that's how deeply loved we are. Whether I feel it at any given moment or not, his love never fails. Secondly, one can have an unrecoverable past and God is still faithful. That's what God's people were grieving as we talked about earlier. They couldn't recover their past, so they, they turned to God and his faithfulness for satisfaction. Now, what about for us? Well, we have our church. We have our area here, so it's nothing to do with that. What about those things that were acknowledged earlier in our worship or regrets with children or with parents? Sometimes holidays point that out. There can be regrets. Or with our health. You may have an unrecoverable past. You may be facing something that's not going to be reversed. Or it can be with sin that we've committed. You may wish you could go back and relive that day or that time and not commit that sin again. But we can't do that. Or it may be with a relationship, thinking of the way things were, but unable to get back to that. In every case, the writer here is saying, in spite of all this that I am going through, he's saying, in spite of the fact that we can't recover our past, God is faithful. That's what gave him encouragement. And then thirdly, one can have a great inheritance and never experience it. Read an account of a man who was a faithful servant all of his his life to a wealthy uh, farm owner. That farm owner didn't have any children, and so when he died, he left all of his wealth to this faithful servant, and he put it in a bank account. The servant didn't quite grasp, didn't quite understand all that he had and at one point, he went to the banker and asked if he could borrow 50 cents for some food. He had all the money he could ever need. And he didn't know it and couldn't appropriate it. Sometimes we as children of God act like that. We act like we're orphans or those without possession. And sometimes we, we may be even asking God for 50 cents when we have such a great inheritance from the Father. So how can we appropriate the comfort and glory of God's love? Well, we experience his love as we appropriate his word in our life. Think of, of Jesus' dialogue with Satan in the wilderness. 
How did he fight off the temptation? Every time, it was with the word of God. This year, at some time, Satan will tell you a lie. He may indicate you will be consumed in spite of God's love. We need to respond because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. Satan may respond that that God may have compassion on some, but look how he's treating you. He must be through with you. We must respond His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Satan may tell you, he's not enough. You need more. You got to do it on your own. And we must respond. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. Great is his faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, will you cause the truth of these verses of your word to be established in our hearts so that we We will not listen to lies. If we hear them, we won't believe them. And we will go back again and again to celebrate your steadfast love that never ceases. Your mercies that never come to an end. And how they're new every single morning. Thank you, Lord, for your great faithfulness. We are grateful as your children, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.